corporations do. All the time. Here endeth the lesson. So, hey, and fuckers, welcome to Not Show Notes. A little bit of a head fake here. The Not Show Notes. Hey, unfuckers, welcome to Show Notes, the special experimental edition where we begin to break this out from the normal unfuckings that we do week after week. We discussed it at the end of last week's episode, so hopefully this, um, you know, helps you break up your week a little bit and uh, gives gives us the opportunity to spend a little more time and attention and love with uh, the unfuckers that we love so dearly. So let's start off as usual with coffee donations. W. Jeremy D. bought five coffees with a backhand of compliments saying, I love you guys most of the time. Would love to hear more about reclaiming patriotism from the right. That is a really good point. Let's think about how we can actually s- signal that coming into uh, you know the midterms. I love that idea. And thank you for the donations, W. Jeremy D. Hopefully you'll come to love us all the time. Now, we have a slew of new members once again. We actually just hit... As of last night, I think, which is right before uh, this episode drops, 150 members. So everybody was kind of making fun of us when we were at 99, which I thought was cool. That was like three weeks ago. I know. And we're at 150 already. This is insanity. Yeah. Like, this is a big fucking deal, to quote Joe Biden when he was lucid. I'm sorry to all the Biden fans. I'm just kidding. So Neil G became a member. I appreciate your anti-oligarchic, clearly explained deep dives into subjects that truly matter. I thank you and we appreciate you coming on board. Mean Kidney Dan became a member, only joining because I pretty much like all your ideas, but also siding with 99 regarding veganism and fish. F.U. Max Fish Rules. We got a couple of these uh, comments um, because I mentioned that, you know, fish, not a real band. Anywho, it's not even an insult. Mike B became a, a member. I'm not necessarily a kind person. I do enjoy the passion that you exude. Got tired of listening for free. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that, man. Ziggy L became a member trying to do my part to spread the word in Asheville, North Carolina. Anybody else near Asheville, North Carolina? I don't know. Flash the bat signal. Go find Ziggy. Get together. Have a book club. Fucking A, man. Thank you for becoming a member. Joe became a member. You're out loud, sometimes foul, but always clear. I appreciate that. Oh, I look forward to the UNFTR down under variant. Much unfucking to be done. We're getting ever so close to finally releasing that episode. So hang tight, Joe. And Embustama. Embustama became a member. Wow, Embusto has been hanging with us since almost the beginning. Uh, Good friend and knows a little something about us. I know something you don't know. Embusto's good friend. Appreciate that. Bart B became a member. Been addicted to UNFTR for many months, but the vegan episode made me a member. Hot damn. Todd L became a member. Finally becoming a member. Not sure why it took me so long. Thank you for making me feel like I'm not alone in my historical economic view of the American shit show. You know, I've often said that part of this journey is actually to make you feel a little less crazy because when you look around at at what's happening around you and everybody going about their business, it can sort of feel like you're the one who's sort of tapped out of the matrix and being like, what the fuck is going on around me? But now you know that uh, you're not alone. So good stuff. I like my Gestapo with the Stasi side salad became a member. (laughs) Um, 
Well, I hope you're enjoying your gazpacho. It's easier to lead a moronic electorate. Was there a plan to lessen the importance of civics in K through 12? That's a really good question. Uh, and the answer is yes, by the way. But that is a state by state thing. So there are national curricular standard standards, and then there are the ones that are being disassembled at the state level. So that's a big deal. Uh, big Nana E became a member. Hey, welcome, Big Nana E. John C became a member. Okay, Max Manny ninety nine. Good day from a down under fucker. I've listened to all of your episodes at least once, and it's time to thank you. Thank you for coming on board, John C. We see you down under. Uh, and like we said, Joe, uh, episode coming soon on uh, Down Under. Random Suburban Lady became a member. Y'all are absolutely my very famous, my very favorite podcast, and a goddamn ray of sunshine. Thank you, Random Suburban Lady. Josh Y. Re became a member. Thanks for unfucking my energy drink addiction. And Regular Guy 82 became a member over from Swag. He's a Swag fucker from straight white American Jesus. Love the show. As an Afghanistan vet, the 9-11 and Afghan episodes hit close to home. Selfishly, I'd love to see an unfucking the use of the troops or yellow ribbon patriotism as a political trope to quash dissent with unpopular wars. Fuck yeah, Regular Guy 82. I had a uh, episode title up there for a long time that just said support our troops and a few random notes attached to it in our files. There's a lot to do there. We should do that. Thanks, regular guy. Thanks for putting me back on that. So that's uh, all the new member information. We have some interesting comments that we're going to get to that came over through uh, social media. 99, you want to tackle them? So on Facebook, Kyle C. said, happy 50th episode. This summed up just about everything I've been feeling for the last couple years as a progressive. And then Brian W. said, 20 years ago, the Lorax was banned in rural schools in the Timber County of far northern California. I was teaching in that region at the time and was hearing about it from dispirited fellow science teachers. That's fucked up. Can you imagine banning the Lorax? Come on. Isn't it? It's, I don't even understand why. Ban cat in the hat. Yeah, that's like that's like, like kidnapping. Home invasion. <laughs> <laughs> so Whiskey Daisy, she's hey. back and said first and foremost, not only is Yin's not racist, it's a gender neutral pronoun. It's Pittsburgh's version of New Jersey's use, oh, if you will. So that's fun to know. We talked about that a few weeks back. Yeah. And then Whiskey said, Max, thank you for an honest answer to my question. I also want to mention that we share a love of Jeff Buckley, best voice ever. Couldn't agree more. Also, for what it's worth, <laughs> I don't know why Whiskey had to put this in here to insult me. I'm so glad she did. I stopped dating someone once because they had too many fish CDs. <laughs> there is literally no such thing as too many fish CDs. They have like 12 oh. studio albums, all the live ones. I was getting my soul crushed for a little while from comments, Whiskey Daisy. I appreciate you coming in. There's just no such thing as too many fish CDs. <laughs> well, you have too many Jeff Buckley CDs, Whiskey Daisy. Um, and then, so then Jim M said, congratulations on your 50th. I've listened to them all, including show notes. Hot damn, Jim M. Yeah. Fucking A. And then Nettie. Well, then let's say Jim M a lot. Jim M. Jim M. Jim M. Jim M. Hey, Jim M. Woo! <laughs> um, and then over from Jim M to Nettie. Nettie. Shed. Shed. Nettie said, to Max, many faces in 99 on your 50th episode. We, the unfuckers, heart you. Thank you, Nettie. Yes. So cool. So then, not to be outdone, Knudsen <laughs> said, I want to remind Max it was the actual voters who decided to elevate old Joe in the primaries. I, know. I don't but, think it's really. <laughs> whoa, 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 hang tight, Knudsen. Hang tight. Like I said, I didn't even get a chance because of COVID to vote for Bernie in my state. I mean, it was a wrap, it was over. And what was so insulting about that moment, remember, is that 
the ticket was fairly split, right? You had a t- I mean, you had so Harris was still on it, Buttigieg was still on it. You had uh, Warren still in it, Bernie, Joe, and Klobuchar. Right, is kind of like the leading candidate. You still had, you had Andrew Yang. I mean, it was just it was, it was a veritable shit show of candidates. And right before the big number primaries, where Bernie definitely had an edge, you saw the others. If everybody had stayed in, he had an edge. You saw the others. They pretty much in unison pulled out in solidarity behind Joe, the safe candidate, as the conventional wisdom showed. And they were right. He was a safe candidate to beat Trump. So they thought that was a prevailing wisdom. Democrats were going to carry the day no matter who was at the top of the ticket, in my opinion, because it was it was more of a virulent anti-Trump vote, no matter what it was. But they sidelined Bernie very deliberately because Bernie was in the lead when they all pulled out and they all got behind Joe and they did it very, very vocally. Pete Buttigieg, most notably among them. Right. Who then wound up getting a tit job inside the administration. Ha ha. Leading the infrastructure of the country knowing that there was going to be a massive infrastructure bill coming in. So he got a pretty plumb position for his loyalty and his fealty to uh, the the conservative and moderate wing of the Democrats. So I'm not going crazy on you, Knudsen. I am acknowledging the fact that the man won the election. Stolen. The election was stolen. It wasn't stolen. Joe won. He won the primary. He won it out. But they really did fuck Bernie. Anyway, uh Knudsen went on to say the location and demographics of the voters were problematic if only they listened to the great white savior. This criticism for our more pigmented fellow hits, and I'm trying to do better with this myself. We all need Biden voters to stay engaged for the midterms, or we'll end up with the grim reaper McFuckhead running the Senate again. That is... That is for sure. That's why I feel, you know, that we have to kind of like amplify our efforts right now to connect unfuckers so that you realize there's more of you. It's just a question of how apathetic we're going to be at the time of the midterms. So anyway. And then Andrew, I had just listened to our Chomsky episode and said it motivated him to do a bunch of reading and rereading. What struck him is that many of his, in in Andrew's opinion, verifiable opinions on media and American government would, without proper context, sounds similar to the ravings of a right-wing conspiracy theorist. It's as if his intellectually honest distrust of self-protecting power structures has been appropriated by people who are generally political pawns of those in power and have become an integral part of what they purport to oppose. Yeah, yes to all of that, Andrew. Yeah, taken out of context, Chomsky definitely... You could pull a lot of his arguments into pretty much anywhere you you stand on the political spectrum to suit your needs at that particular moment. But I mean, that certainly strikes at the essence of what he and Herman were writing about in Manufactured Consent. The ironic part, of course, is that they're from the outside looking in. They came at it from an academic perspective. But within the conservative media landscape, you'll often hear them making those type of Chomsky-like arguments but they're actually the figures that are delivering the messages. So, you know, as usual, they, they took some theories and perverted them. But yeah, no, Andrew, I, I dig everything that you're saying. Uh, we have some more more criticism coming our way in a good way uh, over on the Twitters. What do we got? I don't call it criticism. I call it discourse. That's me, not a tweet. <laughs> I, I thought that maybe that was from Parks and Rec. No, I'm sure Leslie <laughs> said something like that, Oop. but... 
Um, so W. Jeremy D., he's back. He said, please don't shit on Pete and Obama, it, which is funny. <laughs> Just did that. It sucks to hear Democrats are latte-sipping elites, followed by lack of substance slash fake progressive, referring to Pete and Obama. Both of those cats are pretty popular in the parts of the country you you say we need to grow. BRB buying a coffee. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, that's part of the issue. Like I said, you know, Obama was very... I think self-aware at that moment when he said, you know, we need to make sure that we don't become the party of, uh, you know, coastal latte sipping elites. And that, I mean, how prescient was that in the next election cycle? So what to do with Obama? I get I get pushed back when we criticize Obama, much in the same way that you, you see within the black community when Cornell West goes after Obama. He, I mean, he 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 was sidelined significantly during the Trump years for uh, during the Obama years, rather for going after Tanisi Coates, for trying to have like a an elevated conversation, for going after other you know luminaries in Black thought like you know Spike Lee. So it's it's not popular among mainstream Democrats who will continue to lionize Obama maybe even more as the years go on and, and more distance between uh, his administration. But that's why I, I that's why I spend so much time in the past, I think, trying to figure out where we are today, how we got here, and then where we're going. You know, like we have a show at some point this year coming up on Carter, maybe actually two. And we spent a lot of time in the 70s because that, to me, was the the real neoliberal inflection point in the country uh, with the teaming up of you know Milton Friedman and uh, the Nixon-era conservative war hawks and all those people that, that came out and ultimately became the Reagan administration. So going back is really instructive. And I think the further away we get from the Obama years, the more we're going to realize that they were conservative, but then that's going to be mixed with a sense of nostalgia among Democrats for a time when you had somebody really, really smart, capable, competent, good-looking, that you were proud of on the world stage. You can send this president pretty much anywhere in the world, and he did all of the right things all the time, carried himself like a true statesman in the classic sense of the word. And that's kind of, you know, we're going to miss that more and more as time goes on. We missed it a lot during the Trump years. We're going to miss that more and more as time goes on. But if, again, we actually did this very early on, I can't remember what the name of the episode was. I think it was maybe our first episode. Um, America, Nothing Is What It Seems. Yeah. Going, yeah, so, and I think we actually did it a couple, so that might have been the one that we did it full on, and then we revisited the theme. But if we laid out the accomplishments, the actual accomplishments, and took the name away that came during Obama's eight years and put them in front of a very intelligent, politically astute and economically knowledgeable test audience and said, is this a Republican or a Democrat? I mean, invariably, I think everybody would say that that was a successful Republican administration. But again, our national Overton window has shifted dramatically to the right. And that's where progressives get caught up these days, is that the things that they are proposing sound radical to our ears today, but were being, I mean, these were these were issues that were bandied about. Remember, Eisenhower wanted to create you know, a universal health care plan, right? I mean, Nixon, again, founded the EPA. Listen to, and I think we're going to play this clip, uh, just a spoiler, in our immigration episode, the debate between Reagan and Bush for uh, the presidential nomination. 
when they were talking about the need for to increase net migration into the uh, net international migration into the country and have more open borders with Mexico because it was good for economic progress. So the country has shifted. The country has changed. We're we're very sick and diseased in our minds. And um, that's again, I don't want to crush Obama's soul. I'll crush Pete Buttigieg's soul all fucking day long for what he did to Bernie and the fact that there's no there there. And he might have had the most unsuccessful political career fucking ever. And then somehow wound up in the presidential campaign. I mean, sorry. Wow. Not sorry. (laughs) I think that, I mean, I don't know how old W. Jeremy D. is, but I definitely, when we started this show and I heard more criticism of Obama, having not been as politically savvy during his terms, I liked him, obviously. I mean, I was born and raised during Clinton and Bush, and it was just shit show after shit show after shit show, like the Lewinsky scandal and 9-11 and all of our wars, and I would just see this, I mean... I was a kid and I even knew that Bush was a fucking idiot. You know, that like that was just in the political consciousness. I knew I saw it on the news. I was like, this guy's a moron. And then we get Obama, like you said. And so and he is he's hot. (laughs) He was hot. He's still hot, but he's getting Delphi, you know, like gray haired Delphi. But then, you know, he's got like a beautiful, cool wife and like cool kids and dogs. And they're like a perfect American family. And that's that's what, you know, they tell us that the president is as little kids. And then you see that. And so I think we're here and it's hard to let go of that. And that's why people, their reactions can be really strong against criticism of him, regardless of policy, because as a man, him as the man, as Barack Obama, you know, like he publishes his best music and, you know, it's Mm -hmm. indie music. And he had that, like, you know, he had like South by Southwest mini at the white house. Like he's cool. He's a cool guy. He is. He works for fucking Netflix and Spotify. Like what is Bush doing? Painting. Guy's got an Oscar. He's got a Grammy. He's got a Nobel fucking peace prize. Yeah. So it's really hard to to, most accomplished man on the the planet. (laughs) It's incredible. Yeah. So I think that's why it happens. I think I, you know, my ears were more tuned to it having grown up in, uh, you know, my career was in alternative of journalism. If you're in mainstream journalism, he is still your idea of a president. If you're in alternative journalism for those years, covering the kind of the sick and twisted neoliberal underbelly of the Obama years that were painted over with, you know, this, again, loving portrait of what a what a true statesman and family man should be. It was it's jarring. And, and you almost, you know, I wanted to love him as the man and I did and I cried at the inauguration all of those things happened and I was still proud to have him as my president for most of the time and yet in my work life horrified at what was happening to my fellow journalists and that just sort of opened the door to looking at and examining things I think in a more honest light and then you know there's a lot that I think he could not control later on and had he been more progressive-minded early in his uh, administration, we would have been further along. But ultimately, he could have been left of Bernie and maintained the the White House and both the houses of Congress for, let's say, his entire first term and still not have gotten as much done and still be criticized as much by the right and still would have delivered us Trump because I think we're that racist of a nation. And I think that half of the country was just like sick of having a black guy in charge. 
at its core elemental root anyway. You can't see me, but I'm sneering right now. Mm-hmm. Just at the concept. <sighs> well, that was good discourse. Indeed. So Tauntaun Rancher said, I live in a fascist AF red state. I stopped writing to the editor, calling into AM hate radio, etc., generally keeping my head down out of fear. After listening to the Lorax episode, I reached out to a progressive group to start discussing what to do. I love this. So how do we do this, 99? What does this look like? So just before we were talking about, we have we have two people in, in one area. Now we've got Tauntaun Rancher raising their hand. We've got other people that are that have admitted that that you know they are ready to join forces with other people, uh, re-engage with the political process. How do they find each other? Where does this all happen? Facebook's so lame. I have to think about it. I definitely want to stay away from Facebook because. Yeah, it's lame. Because <laughs> um, it's something I have to give more thought to. If anyone has any ideas, please please write in. Put that in the subject line. Well, um, you know, we did talk about like that that book club, right? And I do think that that's a kind of an, a neat and interesting way, uh, you know, like claim your city kind of thing. And and again, we could facilitate that through our through our web presence. And even if it's not like a traditional book club, it could be a coffee club, it could be anything where you just get together and just work through some shit. The reason I like the book club idea is because people could follow along in real time with our with our shows. Like listen to the show, let's all read the book and you know, and see what that inspires locally to get involved. So Tauntaun Rancher, good on you. Then Will Watkins Fourth said another outstanding episode of UNFTR Pod. It felt heavy somehow, or maybe I feel heavy. I think it's time to hook up seriously with like-minded leftists here in Central Virginia. Okay, there you go. There's a call out in Central VA. Yeah. And then Rotan Rick said, please keep the show notes. These are the fucking best. It's too funny. I don't feel like we're very funny today. <laughs> eh, we'll get there, maybe. Uh, Knudsen replied, I had to put this one in. Knudsen replied to the last episode tweet with a video of the Grateful Dead's China Cat Sunflower into I Know You Writer. Why? Which, which we, you know, in the know, you would call it, it's a China writer. I now need to know, Knudsen, are you a deadhead? Just tell me Seems more. Seems like it. Well, I mean, no. I Know You Writer is one of those, like, classic American, it's like Americana, you mm-hmm. know, it's not their song. Lots of different bands do I Know You Writer, so... I want to know if Knudsen is a deadhead. Get back to me. Okay. At Old Turk said, what's the difference between the Republic and a pregnant person? (laughs) I'll leave that one where it is. (laughs) And then Seventh Son Six and Walt Haim have been spreading UNFTR and tagging us in relevant tweets to our episodes and issues we're covering, you know, saying like, you know, after I've been covering this for weeks. So, you know, the tweets aren't like question you know it's not a question so it's weird to read but i wanted to call them out and really i really appreciate that because that's the type of action that we're trying to incite you know tagging tagging journalists tagging politicians tagging other people other activists so thank you very much to both of you cool and then our last tweet which kind of tees up an email so main canuck who we heard from last week said another great episode Thanks for your response on the fuckery happening with the occupation in Ottawa and the blockage of the Alexandria Bridge. I completely agree with you about Trudeau, hoping Christia Friedland will step up. He's past his time. Mm. So then we had an email from an unfucker named Doug, which I'm pulling up right now. Mm-hmm. So Doug said, Unknucker Doug here. I just finished listening to Unless, and I really like the reference to the Lorax. However, I've got to push back on something that Max said in the show notes. So Doug says, at 5336, 99 read a question from Maine Canuck, 
uh, where they asked if Max could unfuck what is going on in Ottawa right now. 99 asked if this was about, quote, the trucker thing. Hint, they so aren't protests. Max laughed and then made his statement. Talk about losing the plot. Trudeau, he's overstated his welcome. Okay, seriously, let me remind you of a few facts. Um, there's a, It's a long email. There are seven facts here. Um, one, the federal Liberal Party won a national election. Uh, the Trudeau Liberals are executing on this mandate given to them by the Canadian electorate. The federal government cannot act against the will of a province or territory. The people involved in the convoys represent less than 10% of Canadians. The, quote, trucker protests have nothing to do with vaccines, vaccine mandates, or truckers, despite the fact that there are perhaps a couple of hundred transport trucks involved. There are a disturbing number of U.S. flags, rebel, Gadsden, QAnon, Trump, and Nazi flags at the occupation. This should really give you a hint about what's going on here. And there have been a few incidents of extreme disrespect of Canadian veterans. Uh, and many assaults and incidents of assorted criminality, including the attempted arson. Uh, this most assuredly has not been the most polite protest ever. You can fuck off with that shit. <laughs> and uh, so so he ends his email saying, OK, so enough. I'm going to wrap up with your quote from the Lorax. Now that you're here, the word of the Lorax seems perfectly clear. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot. Nothing is going to get better. It's not. I love you guys. I'm looking forward to the next episode. But seriously, don't be so damn dismissive of us uncanuckers. That is, if you ever want to see real maple syrup on your pancakes again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to hold space for for both Doug and Mank Canuck. I think that the idea that this is being... Well, so Doug, I did allude to the fact that Canadians get Fox News too. That's more so a reference to the fact that I do believe that we're exporting our bullshit all around the world. I think that without Trump and without our new right slash alt right tendencies in this country, that you don't have the regime in Australia that you do now, that you don't have a Bolsonaro, that you don't have a Boris Johnson, you don't have a Brexit, you don't have. There's so many things that don't happen if the United States doesn't export are bullshit everywhere. So I take a lot of credit as an American for what is transpiring in Ottawa right now. I did sound dismissive of it. So let me just agree with you there. I sounded dismissive of it. It was an unfolding situation. It was at the kind of the, the beginning when we were originally recording it, which was before the episode came out and things began to get, you know, dirtier and uglier after that. But I do think that the idea that I was too dismissive of it, that it is a very real problem, that it does not reflect the Canadian electorate, that you're right, that you cannot, as the federal government, interfere as much in provincial affairs as we can here, say, into state affairs. But I think that those things can also live together with the idea that Trudeau's influence is waning and that he may have overstayed his welcome, played too many cards with the calling that last election. And the general malaise and feeling that COVID went on too long for right or for right or wrong. Every politician, every sitting politician at some point becomes loathsome to the electorate and less influential, less powerful, just because they become fixtures in the public eye. And Justin has been a fixture in the public eye long before he was prime minister. Again, the darling of the of the the left media good-looking hippie kid who's bilingual, who's like traveling around the, the country and traveling around the world, meeting with dignitaries, great college-educated kid who's got charm and a smile. He's been there for a long time, but the knives are out. They're coming for him. And I don't think he's going to be as effective or as influential 
And a lot of political capital has been blown, unfortunately, for him during the pandemic. And uh, it's going to wear on now. So I think that sentiment can stand. And again, you know, if you caught our Canadian episode where we really birthed the Uncanucker movement, you could probably figure out that I'm far more aligned with the NDP. But I don't think that they necessarily have the will or the organizational might right now to uh, to take over. And I wish they would have a greater impact in influencing provincial elections as well. So I am not dismissing what is happening in Ottawa. I'm not dismissing anything uh, in Canada. In fact, I think that's why we spend so much time talking about Canada is because, as we pointed out, not in terms of imports, but our just largest trading partner, period, is Canada. We are economically tied at the hip. We cannot get by without Canada. Most of the United States uh, citizenry does not understand that. And that's why we talk a lot about Canada on this show. And that's why we try to open up our sphere of influence as well to talk about other Western nations, other major trading partners. We talk about the Caribbean, Latin America, and and, because we want to get out of our little shell and our little bubble. But in that moment, Doug, I was dismissive of what was going on there. It was early days and probably should have taken that more to heart. So I see you. I hear you. I really appreciate you as as all unfuckers do when they're like sort of giving me the side eye for something that I say. You, you know, you said your piece and said you, you still love us. So thank you for still loving us. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. All right, so coming back from emails, we're going to hop into Instagram. We'll ping pong this. Uh, Colin M. Wanted a message to say thank you. I'm a citizen of America and Canada. Live in a small city just south of Windsor, Ontario. Now, I know exactly where that is. I am 17 and have listened to every episode at least twice. Also, there's an account called Good Morning Bad News. Just hit a million subscribers on TikTok. Says the same thing as the pod, like fuck Ronald Reagan. Thought I'd share my find to spread the word about another amazing show. Cool. Well, thanks for that, Colin. Colin, you have to follow uh, fellow unfucker Jen. I wish I knew her TikTok handle at the top, but she'll hear this and maybe she can post it somewhere on Twitter. But she's been posting UNFTR TikToks and stuff. Um, I don't have TikTok. Uh, how did I see it though? Was oh, that her mom out west? Our mom? Yeah. What do you mean? Or is, it, or is that the one that shared the coffee? We have a mom out west. Oh, Stifler's mom. Stifler's mom. Yeah, I think she, maybe her handle might be Stifler's mama 420. Is that what it is? Potentially. Yeah. Stifler's mom is fucking awesome and we need to get her more involved with the show. That's on, that's on us. uh, Yeah. Because she reached out. Yeah. But so, so maybe follow her and you guys can be a unfucking TikTok coalition. Love it. Because I will not, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't do TikTok. I guess I'll have to take it over. Not in an ageist (laughs) way. Like not like, oh, stupid youth. But I just like, I know know if I start it'll be the end of me so I have to you know but but yeah so there you go Colin mm. or Colin Colin <laughs> Colin or Colin uh, maybe yeah. it's Colin maybe it's C-O-L-Y-N for everybody needs to know well I'm sorry for calling you Colin 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 <laughs> and then we have uh, Tony H said holy shit this fucking show is so insightful that every week I leave pissed that I can't force my fascist fuck nugget friends and family to listen to sadly I have so many how 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 the fuck do I get you to spread <laughs> all around P.S. I found myself oddly excited to find that I shared a birthday with the one the only Manny Faces oh but do you as Manny does celebrate your birthday mm-hmm. for the entire month like a five year old 
<laughs> Waiting for the Manny Punchin to crush our souls and... I just like to make sure that I'll never have to say. I can't believe this. They fucking forgot my birthday. Tim V. I know the show's mostly about the U.S. and its relationship with other countries, but it's great. On the other hand, there's a very big cultural difference that I've experienced living in the U.S. You guys, as Americans, are so self-centered and oftentimes feels like there's nothing outside of the U.S. I know that's not applicable to the UNFTR team. You've already made the exception by doing an episode on Canada. But I'd love to hear your your thoughts on other countries like France, Germany, UK, China, Japan, or dare I say Russia. Uh, yeah, so it is unfucking the Republic. So, I, you know, I look at those. The Canada episode to me was natural because we are natural siblings. And again, we have such a huge economic interest in one another. Talking about American imperialism down in the Caribbean, you know that we're going to hit Australia soon. We have tentatively proposed doing the UK but maybe more, you know, going back to the Thatcher years to really kind of understand the big shift in the UK. And hitting other countries for me is difficult, yes, because of the language barrier, also because I'm not as, if you've noticed on fuckers, the depth of my knowledge is really from the Industrial Revolution forward, and it is very Western in its focus. So that serves, a, you know, a purpose here. Is it because you were born in the Industrial Revolution? Oh my God, Okay. Says the says the woman who can't do TikTok. It's just too much. Um, but yeah, so you know, I have limitations, uh, certainly, many limitations. But that that's one of my. It would take me a very long time to do a show like that justice. So the language access is hugely important for me because we can collaborate with other shows, and I'm going to know what the fuck they're saying. So yeah, I don't know. Over time, so we're going to hit a lot of countries with respect to our foreign policy and our economic interests. But I, I suspect that it, we're probably going to steer clear of doing deep dives into political situation scenarios in other countries from that country's perspective. I don't feel like I have enough agency in that to do that. So that's a really long answer to that short question. So let's now ping pong back to emails. Okay, so we heard from Robert S. who says, I love the show. I am medically retired from the Army, and now I teach 7th grade social studies in Mobile, Alabama. I was raised in a conservative Christian family with very Republican ideals. Despite being indoctrinated, I feel like I never fully agreed with my family's beliefs. As I grow older, much to my family's chagrin, I find myself more and more progressive. A co-worker of mine turned me on to the show, and I have been hooked ever since. And then they closed the email with... The world needs to wake up and scream for a change and fuck oh, Milton Friedman. Max 99 and Manny, keep up the good work. P.S. I'm sorry, Max, but after the Unless episode, I was screaming, fuck you, out loud. Fish rules, end of story. I'm team 99 on this one. I still love you, though. Everybody's Until next team episode, 99. grumpy fish. Jesus, Maria so, from Puerto Rico said, you know, we're all 99. I know that I've lost this Here show. we go. Here we go. Oh, boy. I proudly unveil our new fucker, fish fuckers. P-H-I-S-H-P-H-U-C-K-E-R. And you can speak to them yourself. There will be these this is your personal constituency. Birds of a feather. Fine. Flock together for all I care. That was a fish song. I well, fucking God. got you. Oh. I got you. Limb by limb, we're it's getting the there. Just the word. Was Brian that another and Robert. song? Limb by limb? Yeah. Oh, Brian Jesus. and Robert. That's another song this man's name is Robert. It's everywhere. We're everywhere. Sigh. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Robert S., for checking in. By the way, 
I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I'm certainly, I think we talked about it on another show, the number of former military listeners who grew up in conservative households and then sort of broke out. I I really want to understand, so Robert, but also our former military members, so any veterans that listen to the show who moved from a conservative frame of reference in their lives to you know, being progressive or progressive curious. Why? Where did that journey begin for you? I would love to understand that. So if we do wind up actually putting support the troops back up on the, on, you know, rather than just assume some Hollywood, you know, Ron Kuby-like version of the, oh, all of my, you know, illusions of the country were shattered in this moment that I can't, you know, I, I don't want it to be cheap. I, I, I assume that everybody's path was a little bit different. But it's, I mean, it's its becoming a thing. We get enough of these comments and show notes that I, I feel like there's something more that is developed there among military personnel that, it, that, you know, became progressive later in life. So if you don't mind, if you could, you know, start to write us in and, and maybe there's some things that we can pull from in that future episode, that would be great. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to do you one better. Yeah? I think you should record a, vo- a voice memo for us. Yeah, that would be amazing. And then we can play them. We can have a nice little unfucker montage. So for all of you that uh, were born in the Industrial Revolution, that's where you talk into your telephone into an application that says I'm. it's recording you. And it closes out into a file. And then you open up your email application on that telephone and detach that file that has your voice in it. Um, well, you forgot that and first. Send it in over the internet. First, you have to take that like cone thing off the wall, and you have to say operator, and they go hello, and they post. Get me Long Beach four <laughs> yeah. five seven. They put a bunch of cords in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, but yeah, send us a send me a voice memo. Say you know um, support the troops episode in in the subject or something like that, and uh, we can do that. And maybe for the unfucking down under too, get a bunch of Aussie voice, or we can have you do a bunch of bad accents and pretend. You're like, good day, mate. <laughs> I could just take the text of it and record them as I think they sound. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I'm going to read the next one because I know this gentleman and I, and I love him. Um, what are you going to do to take on the equally complex history and probably scary manipulation of American medicine? Arnold Relman, when editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, warned about the businessfication of medicine in the 1980s. And now one of the innovators in digital medicine is proposing we use anti-money laundering software to make internet prescriptions safe and accessible without a visit to a provider. Talk about coming full circle. Uh, So the the, uh, gentleman that that, uh, wrote in happens to be a physician for a very, very, very long time, has seen it all, still very active, and is the classic type of physician that knows you, knows your kids, probably maybe even help bring the kids into the world some way. We'll visit you at home. That The classic idea of what we believe a real doctor to be. I love this idea. You know, full disclosure, this will take me a lot of time to get to. And, and it has to be done within the context of uh, healthcare insurance, how we deliver it, and the natural friction in a for-profit system between trying to solve for better patient outcomes and profit. Those two things should not and I think cannot live together. And so there's so much there. Uh, the answer is yes, but it's going to take a great deal of time for us to get to. And I really appreciate the context that you sent that in. So the next email is from Cody D. 
who said, I'm not usually one to write into podcasts, and I also think I might be kicked out of the club for writing this, but I feel like it has to be said. We can't move the country to the left if Republicans win elections. Sometimes the D next to the name is more important than anything else. Oh, I agree. And also think that we need to have a strategy to occupy the corpse of the Democratic Party. So how do we how do we accomplish these same missions in the last election? Again, we said so we just went through the, uh, you know, what was happening during the um, during the primaries and how things got so fucked for progressives and how we all moved in the middle lane to stay safe. And I admitted myself, I pulled the lever for Biden because my options were pretty clear at that point. But you remember, Cody, I am not a favor in favor of developing a third party energy in this country simply because of the structural impediments to actually getting on all of the ballots at the state level and building up the mechanism to do it just to become like another basically corporatized version of uh, what we have now or even more fearfully a watered down version of what we have now. So in occupying the uh, the cadaver that is the Democratic Party, my suggestion is you can you can actually get a sense of districts at the state level and then you know draw that out to congressional districts for how democratic a district is. If you look at a district that would be considered historically purple and that maintained that purple status, even through gerrymandering and redistricting, I would not risk trying to run a progressive primary or slip in a progressive in the cloak of darkness through uh, the local Democratic committee. Wait, that I want to, before you continue, I want to reference an email that's coming up in a little bit because it might tie in. Patrick McGee said, uh, he sent a long email, but said, it's clear to me that the Dems were never going to allow Bernie to represent them. Remember that some Democratic leadership made it clear that they'd rather vote for Trump than Bernie should Bernie win the primaries, which leads me to conclude that the Dems will never allow, quote, a Bernie in the future either. So I feel like that can be worked in somehow. Yeah, definitely. Um, And so this is hand-to-hand combat, and it always comes down to these local districts. That's why Steve Bannon is is probably the most dangerous man in America right now with his platform, because he's he knows where the power structure in this country really lives, and it's at the precinct level. And by going after literally the people sitting at the precincts, which is oddly evil and dangerous, we risk having some sort of fuckery or manipulation like at the polls. To me, that to me, all he's trying to unleash there is pandemonium because you can't actually influence the outcome of an election unless you are going to just start throwing fucking, you know, haymakers or ballots into the fire. I mean, it's just but his strategy is interesting because he's getting people to infiltrate as more than poll watchers and as more than, you know, the head of a precinct. He's getting people to infiltrate at the local level. And that's where the action happens, because those are the people that wind up helping party leadership decide who makes it to the ballot and who doesn't, where the money goes, where the money gets raised. So a local county chair, for example, We'll have a whole bunch of committee people. Those committee people will, some of them will have jobs. Some of their spouses will have jobs. Some of their kids will have jobs that are all tied to the party leadership. That party leadership is going to try and maintain that district and and the strength in their district for as long as they possibly can, which is why we get such fucked up redistricting efforts. So it all happens locally. That's why we push for local. But in a purple district, one that swings back and forth between Republican and Democrat, I don't think it's a great idea to risk a strategy to put some somebody who might be seen as polarizing and super progressive as much as that's where I lean. But in wildly Democratic districts, this is where we need to apply some pressure points. If it, if going away 
the Democrat wins. And I'm talking, there are districts in this country where the Democrat will win and likewise Republican, but the candidate will win going away with like 60, 70, 80% of the vote. That's where we need to take the fight. So if we put this in congressional terms, we have 535 members of Congress representing us, and we have one progressive in the Senate. So we have 435 to think of in the House, and right now we have 95 members in Congress. So that is about half of what we have in the Democratic Party. That's where we need to occupy the balance of the party, and we can chip away at it just as they've been doing over the last several years if we go down ballot to give them support. So again, AOC is the outlier as an example, but if you take a district that leans blue, heavily, heavily blue, and then you start to pack that district with assembly people and state senators and local officials and local officials and councilmen and all of those type of positions, those are the people that also help the leadership make the balloting decisions for who ultimately gets to run for Congress. And they're the ones that are raising the money locally to run that candidate. And if you make the Democratic chair's life miserable enough to force that person to run a progressive candidate or just or at least have to accept that that primary is going to be valid, then we can start to shift the momentum. So, Cody, I'm saying yes and also, but what next? So that's where we need to uh, that's where we need to move. Now, moving on, Charla Big Sky. In listening to AOC today, I firmly believe that UNFTR can help inspire a group of individuals to take action and change our systems from the bottom up. Thank you, Max99 and Manny, for all you do. Yeah, I clearly, as you just heard in that diatribe, I agree, but you have to be very strategic. We can't do any of that until you all start to meet one another, though. So do endeavor to meet up. I don't know how yet, but do endeavor to meet up. And then we hear from our old friend. Bobby McTee. <laughs> who gave us, who gave me uh, uh, some pretty clever... Uh, accent and elocution advice with the oil. Oh, yes. Right? Oil will be back. That was Jamaican. Oil will be back. Just say oil will be back. Oil will be back. It's still sounding a little Jamaican. Oil will be back. Yeah. (laughs) So Bobby McDee said... (laughs) Esteemed trifecta of fuckers. Try fuckers, if you will. (laughs) 50 episodes, what an achievement. Max, we're the same age. We like a lot of the same things. And I read the Lorax to my son every night for about two years. Maria from Puerto Rico is right. We are all 99. We are all one another. It's that Jungian collective. To that end, if there are any writers or anyone who creates and listens to UNFDR, please ask them to reach out to me on Instagram, which is Robert McDermott 73 author or Facebook Robert McDermott writer and I'll link both of these. I'd love to share ideas, work, etc. and most importantly provide support and encouragement. Building a creative community of unfuckers would be incredible. I'm happy to do what I can. He's so great. So we could have a writers collective as well as a, you know, we could share maybe templates to send to progressive people. Is that fun? Creative? That is so fun. That's like how Bobby McDee was able to slip in fuck Milton Friedman into the dialogue in his last novel. And I yeah. think he has another novel coming out. Didn't he say that? Yes, he's working on one right he's now. He's working on it now. We'll, we'll update you when we, when we get more details. So we'll, we'll share all those details. And yeah, please, please reach out. And I promise that I will continue to brainstorm and think about the best way to execute this. And please, please, please don't hesitate to write in if you have a great idea, because that might just be the ticket. Um Enoch R. said, great podcast. I came from Pitchfork. Pitchfucker. How, <laughs> how about an episode on surveillance capitalism? Yeah. The answer <laughs> yep. is yes. Love it. There you go, Enoch. Love it. However, you know, probably going to be a lot of Glenn Gr- Gl- 
Glenn Greenwald. Probably going to be a lot of Glenn Greenwald references in there. Sorry. David S. just finished listening to Unless Building Back to What? David S. comes from Best of the Left. Uh, has a recommendation to discuss uh, student debt in a book called The Debt Trap, How Student Loans Became a National Catastrophe by Josh Mitchell. We will put that into our recommendations, yeah? Yes. Then Robert L. wrote in and said, I would like to start by thanking you for your fabulous, educational, well-researched, and well-presented show. Thanks to all of you. I noticed that one of your mantras is fuck Milton Friedman, and Robert shared an article which emphasizes on our ideas and takes it further to Michael Foucault? Foucault? I think it's Foucault. Foucault? Fuck him too. Fuck him too, and I don't know enough about him, and it's funny because I have his name written down in my little UNFTR journal since before we started this thing to basically be like, look into this asshole. (laughs) It's a Jacobin article, which I want to call Jacobin every time. Jacobin and Myers? It seems like Jacobin. Yeah, that's not... (laughs) Then Catherine McGee said, thank you for adding a medium roast coffee for purchase. By the way, people are going to crush me on not knowing that, like, enough about Foucault. You're allowed to have things you don't know about. I'm going to give you that permission. Not in this space. Why? Mm. But that's, see, that's the problem with it. And it's the same with any type of, like, you know, fandom or, like, fish fans are like it, dead fans are like it, political nerds are like it. Not everyone can be an expert about everything all the time. So you have to give yourself some grace. I appreciate you. I'm giving it that. So Catherine McGee said, thank you for adding a medium roast coffee for purchase because I've wanted to support you, but I am a coffee whip, which I enjoyed. And that would be our Mellow Maynard blend, which is in stock in whole bean and ground. Don't forget, everybody, please send us your thoughts when you get uh, Mellow Maynard in the mail. Thoughts Um, and pictures. Yes, pictures. Put them on the the interwebs. Picture with consent in the email that I can post them on Instagram or Facebook because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to post you if you're not comfy. Ooh, um, so, uh, this is this is interesting. Bob G said, uh, "UNFTR, great show. Thanks for the uh, amazing work your team does. Stock buybacks seem so shady. Uh, myself being a laborer in a big manufacturing plant. So what's <laughs> this is this is how my fucking bizarro mind works, Bob. The original title for this show for this episode was stock buybacks." <laughs> And I got so fucking far afield from the topic that I wound up with the show that you hopefully just heard. So I will absolutely be revisiting stock buybacks and then, you know, put that back into the the whole narrative of how corporations have really been able to puff up their earnings and their earnings per share and thus their valuations and executive compensation all through this type of fuckery. So thanks for putting me back on the point, Bob. Mm-hmm. And then our last email from my friend Aaron H., who confirmed he's not going to assassinate me. (laughs) Um, We were chatting, and I asked if there was anything we should unfuck in Wyoming. And he said, because that's where Aaron lives, and he said, there's so much to unfuck in the West. Um, And he just sent kind of a laundry list of things to unfuck that. uh, Is there anything in here that stands out to you that you want to call out? Well, he talks a little bit about just the nature of Western living Lived in Wyoming, but lived in Montana for 22 years. I actually spent a little bit of time in Montana, so I can certainly jive with this, the way he describes. I've spent a lot of time in rural West America. I've tried to build empathy with the poor white people who have really shitty lives. Life is very hard there. It's rugged. It's cold. The wind is fierce. It's hard no matter who is president. This is a really thoughtful and very, very long email, and I think we're going to be able to work some of these things into uh, subsequent shows. But um, Very poetic. Yeah. Yeah. This idea, just talking about poor people in this country, talking about how 
difficult life is from minute to minute. This episode to me is is so fraught and churns up so many emotions that I have because people that got the child tax credit directly deposited into their accounts, people that got a stimulus check, small business owner somewhere in the country in rural America that got a PPP loan and was able to have it forgiven. These were massive life-saving devices that our government can do in the blink of an eye. And yet the conservative mantra is that it will disincentivize people from working. It'll make them lazy. It'll make them not show up. That's the narrative that you heard at the top of the show about why do we have inflation? Because people are calling in sick. I mean, can you be any more fucking twisted? And that was on MSNBC. And that's my point here is that the left and the right have a blind spot when it comes to poor working class people in this country. Why? We don't like them. We don't. We dislike them. They make us feel bad about ourselves. We're ashamed of them. We're ashamed of the laborer. We hate the migrant worker because they look different and speak differently. But we actually hate the laborer in this country who works paycheck to paycheck, who just pays rent. We hate that person because they are a failure of the capitalist system and not good enough to break the poverty trap and move to the next level. And even if you are one of those people, there's this self-loathing aspect of poverty that comes into play that is so on display when you are out West. I remember the first time we drove, and as I said, I spent enough time in Montana. And the first time I drove through, what really took me by surprise was every billboard for must've been hundreds of miles was pictures of meth addicts. The state was ravaged by meth on the street. The opioid crisis was so prominent that it was truly a crisis. And every town that we stopped in was poor. I mean, fucking poor. And I just, it it stuck with me that I was like, this is the country, this is it. Like, I had that experience driving through, you know, every other state that, that we took to get there. And then we wound up spending, you know, a good, t- a good amount of time in Montana directly. And you realize this is a hard fucking life. Try living through a Montana winter, working the land, working, you know, in agriculture, working anywhere in farming out there, working in industry, working in the mines. I can't tell you how many places I saw that were ripped to shreds and gutted by strip mining. I mean, just horrific. And you look at what happened to the, to the ecosystem, just to nature, and then you realize that it was it was people in there that were doing this and they're feeling the effects of this as well. We don't care about poor people. We dislike them. We're ashamed of them. And we'd never want to be them. And even when we are them, we have a fantasy built up in our mind through this lottery ticket system that we've built that someday, maybe, if I scratch the right numbers, if the right family member dies, if I happen to, you know, trip over a fucking pile of cash, you know, in the back of an armored truck, you know, in a duffel bag, I take it, I'd run. I may someday be rich. And if I'm rich, well, then I want, I want to be part of that 1% that's taken care of in this country. But it never happens. It just doesn't happen. 
And so I did think that that was a poetic thing to put in here, talking about what it's like out West, because we too can fall into the traps as coastal elites. You know, we live in New York, it's hustling, it's bustling, there's people all around, there's opportunity everywhere. And if you hustle hard enough, you actually can make ends meet, but it's a fucking struggle and it will rip apart your mental health in a different way than poverty with no options can in the rural, windiest, coldest, fucking hardest parts to live in this country. It's a big country. So I appreciate that email uh, tremendously. And uh, to the people out West, again, we see you, we hear you. Um, To the people in the cities, we see you, we hear you. In the suburbs, Puerto Rico, Canada, you name it. All of these places that we unfuck, we see you, we hear you. And we've all in some way been victimized by the system that got so wildly out of control under neoliberalism that is now trending towards this new right that at the end shares one thing in common, and that is an antipathy towards the poor. So let's get together. Let's make it happen. Let's unfuck the republic together. That was truly beautiful. Oh, thanks. So we had one review from, did they even test this? Which when that name came in, I said, oh no. (laughs) But uh, they liked the show and said, if you want to learn more about the happenings, not just in the US, but around the world, you should be listening to UNFTR. Even if your personal political views skew to the right, you can still enjoy well-analyzed and researched information about the major issues we're all facing today. Listen to the podcast and let's all UNFTR. Thank you. That was a wonderful review. You're right. When I saw, first saw the title come in, it was a little bit of a, a fake out as well. I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> ruh um, But thank you for the review. Keep it up if uh, if you can. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed this experiment. If you didn't, I'm sure you'll let us know <laughs> in separating show notes from, uh, from the actual episode itself. But we do feel like it gives us a little bit of time to put some love and attention into it. So thank you for indulging us this week. And um, we'll keep, you know, tweaking the format and continuing to grow and evolve going forward thank you unfuckers around the globe for your continue subfuckers unfuckers subfuckers euro fuckers down under fuckers pitch fuckers bottle fuckers patch fuck pack fuckers swash fuckers uncluckers no plant fuckers and now only for you fish fuckers see you later 99 (laughs) bye max